excited about summer? <laughs> People just seem to be a little happier right now than uh, a few months ago, at least uh, I am. And so our grandchildren uh, are out of school now. This last Thursday was the last day and uh, had pre-kindergarten uh, graduation, and so they're all excited. They're actually, uh, the family's up north visiting friends uh, this weekend, so that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. I'm glad, glad that's happening. Uh, I'm also really thankful for uh, the, the group that's going on the mission trip, the teens and the adults that are going with them. This is just so phenomenal and, and just so amazing. And uh, if you don't know that, I, I, that's kind of why I'm saying it. It's just tremendous. And in terms of helping you see a different part of the world and see, not, did you know not every place is like Minnesota? Yeah, I, I like this place. I, I just fantastic. But not every place in the world is like this place. And so it's really helpful. And it's also the way in which uh, I think you really develop missionaries. At some point, people begin to fall in love with other people in other parts of the world and realize that in many ways, uh, culture is different, but people are people are people are people all over the world. Whenever uh, we've traveled different places, we just find uh, that to be true. So I commend the church here, uh, both emotionally, spiritually, financially, supporting uh, what they're doing and the adults that go on that. That's just tremendous. Uh, the other thing I, I'm grateful for, and I just wanted to say, uh, since I'm an old preacher, and uh, I've, I've come to accept that now, is that uh, old preachers can be pretty critical of younger preachers. <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, they know that. Huh? <laughs> Not me, of course, but uh, uh, I wanted to s just draw attention to that because I'm a big fan of Patrick and his preaching and his teaching. I'm just very thankful for that. Uh, uh, I'm just grateful to sit out there and listen to him. He's just, he's just a, a person of the Word, and he trusts God's Word. He's a person that believes in transformational ministry in terms of us becoming more like Jesus Christ. Uh, he knows, I think, and understands people and uh, is in tune to different sort of situations and awareness. And, uh, so he's, and he's a great communicator, too. Uh, I just, uh, his stories and stuff, I think, connect with different generations. And that's, that's very unusual to have that kind of a combination. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm for him. Because <laughs> you're wondering, which you probably weren't, didn't care, really. Uh, so, uh, this morning we're going to be studying in Psalm 42. I was a little conflicted when I found out we didn't have tech up uh, because I don't have much to impress people with. That's it, that's it, that's all. Uh, but we are in Psalm 42, and so uh, it's uh, fairly lengthy, so I didn't want to have to go through a bunch of slides, and so you can listen or turn in scriptures uh, there this morning to follow along. We'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, to frame the sermon this morning, kind of give you some hooks for it, I want us to think of our lives in terms of three trees. First tree is from the Garden of Eden. The last tree is from the Garden of Life in Heaven. And the first tree we no longer have access to. We now live in a world that is chaotic and it is confusing. And what, but we look forward to life around the tree of life later on when we're fully united with God. 
In between these trees, life is a struggle. Uh, the communion message this morning addressed all of those sort of things. Our lives between Eden and eternity can be filled with disappointment and suffering. And did you notice that life is not fair? It's just not fair. It seems that some people get more than their fair share of difficulties in the journey, and there seems to me no good reason other than that this world is filled with futility. It is between Eden and eternity, then, that we find strength and hope and direction in the third tree that's in the middle, the tree that our Savior died on, the cross that Jesus died on. I believe it's important to speak to this struggle because Jesus did not promise us increasing health and wealth and worldly success. He promises us, promises us, us. It didn't help to say it a second time, did it? Water for the soul. Sometimes faithful Christians have tragic events in their lives from which there is no quick resolution or relief, and they feel that they are inferior Christians. When they compare their journey to those whose lives seem to be going along swimmingly well and wonder, what is wrong with me? And this misunderstanding produces a lot of needless agony on top of other suffering. Now, I want to qualify just a bit this morning, though, uh, I'm not saying that making good common sense and wise decisions in life don't make a difference. They do. <laughs> if you make bad decisions, bad things happen. But there are also plenty of exceptions. It is not infrequent that the righteous suffer and the unrighteous prosper, at least for a time. For example, Barbara and I have friends who are deeply spiritual, and if I had to measure their spirituality to mine, I would say they are, they are so much more spiritual than I am, and that they have suffered and are suffering enormously with no end in sight. One of my friends, I get together for lunch about every other month, and I kind of come home and I just say, I don't know how they cope the way as well as they do. It's just, it just seems like it's something every week, every month. It can be cancer, stroke, children, on and on, and sometimes may feel like, you know, what's next coming around the corner? So how do we live with joy and hope in this world? We have to think and act against the stream. We look to the tree of the cross to lay down our burdens and to find new direction. The laying down of burdens can be seen in what is called in Scripture the laments, and Scripture is full of them. And that is the crying out to God from our depths. And then secondly, the dependence on the grace of God in the cross for the journey. And that leads us to Psalm 42 as an example of one of these laments that I commend to you. So we'll begin and just walk through it. So what you have at the beginning is this great longing for God, which tells you the person is a deeply spiritually minded, devoted person yearning for God. 
And the language is that the deer pants for the water, streams of water, imagining an animal, a deer, out in a desert and just so thirsty and it's longing to the time when it gets to this refreshing stream. And he says, I'm like that. And my soul pants not for water, but for God, for you, O God. I pant for you. There is there's almost this physical connection between the emotional and spiritual in which there, he, he compares it to something that people know when they're extremely, extremely thirsty. My soul is like that for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then the question, when can I go and meet God? Where is he? And where could I go and meet him to indicate that there's some, it's some feeling of disconnection, though, for God. And then it goes on to describe, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? So apparently he's being made fun of and being taunted and mocked by other people because of his circumstances. It's sort of like, you know, you claim to know God and your life is going terrible. So, you know, where's your God at? And uh, probably some self-condemnation in that as well. And then he remembers, sort of like the good old days. Remember how we can do that? You know, those of you who are older, I remember what it used to be like. And he remembers these wonderful times with a with group of God's people. And he says, I, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how good it used to be. I'm in anguish. I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Perhaps these great pilgrimages that come from the north and other places to Jerusalem for the Passover or other festivals. And, and they would sing on the way up as they're going up these hills, the Hallel, the praise, praise psalms, and they would be singing and going up. And if the sun was coming up and it was hitting, hitting the temple and all the surroundings, it was just, it was just magnificent. And you're anticipating the sacrifices and, and all your expressions of joy to God with the people of God. And then he says, but I'm not there anymore. And he wonders why. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And he talks to himself and he says, self, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise them. They will come, my Savior and my God. And then he returns. He's just back and forth. And I think this is important and significant that there is this cycle. It just isn't resolved in one time. Like, uh, I'm sad, hoping God. Okay, on, on with the journey. Instead, he, keep, he goes right back. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of the waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Uh, kind of uh, this language that's a little determined, hard to determine exactly what it means, but it, it seems to say, God, you've, you've swept over me. By day, but then by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I think it's just so intriguing. It's my experience. I don't know if it's yours. But it's like, I'm, I feel terrible. Depend on God. God is wonderful. I feel terrible. So, you know, I'm just right there with this person. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
And maybe God hasn't, but that's how he feels. And so the why questions keep coming. Why, why am I in these circumstances? God, why don't I feel connected to you? God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So there's some circumstances in which outward forces are pressing upon him. So he's got external forces, internal forces, all against him. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? That's repetitive. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So there is this cycle that goes on over and over and over, I think, that is important, and it ends unresolved. Now, Psalm 43, uh, we assume, is still they were together because it, this, psalm just, this song just keeps going on, repeats the same refrains in Psalm 43, so you can read that on your own. But one of the parts that I think is so huge of that, I, I mean, that's my life. That I go through these cycles of joy and despondency and back and forth, and it's like this. You know, I would, I would like to, maybe, except to be unrealistic probably, to be able to say that, you know, my life has been just one you know, straight sort of steep incline to God my whole life. But mine has been more of a roller coaster. It's kind of going up, but there's been some valleys along the way and that's what you see in this psalm and yet he's hoping in God this morning some main points for you to take home with you first of all suffering in the Christian life emotionally psychologically physically is normal did you get that because I think sometimes we feel like there's something wrong happening. Well, it's wrong, but it's just affected the whole universe. That's just where we are between the tree in the Garden of Eden and the tree in heaven. It's true because suffering is a part of being human and being a Christian does not automatically and completely eliminate it. The frailty of the human condition is not quickly or completely changed when a person becomes a Christian. Our inner brokenness is no more instantly fixed by God than a physical disability might be. That means that suffering does not necessarily mean that you are a failing Christian or that God has left you or doesn't care for you. Did you hear that one? Now this psalmist says, God, where are you and why have you forgotten me? But the problem it isn't God, and in this case, I don't think the problem's with the psalmist. The problem is with the world and our frailty. In our suffering, God may be trying to work in our brokenness to draw us closer to himself and produce more compassion towards others. It's taken me a long time to learn this. And I'm still learning it, because I don't like it. <laughs> but uh, I thought originally when I started ministry that it was my task to fix everything. And it took quite a few years to beat that out of me, just the school of hard knocks. 
and uh, in helping and ministering to some people, uh, church we were with early on, uh, before we started, they'd had a campaign for Christ back, back in the days. I don't know if we're doing it much anymore, knock doors and invite people and teach people the gospel and so forth. And this one family had been re- reached, and uh, they had four children, and it was just a chaotic family. Uh, the two older boys wanted to start coming to church, so the, uh, the, older, the, the preacher and his wife started bringing them to church, and then uh, when they left, then others of us picked that up and kept bringing them. And uh, I'd go to their home to visit with them, and, uh, and, and I would just sit there some time thinking, I, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> and you've been to places like that, perhaps. Uh, as an example, and this is even kind of hard to tell, but uh, so the dad was uh, uh, legally blind, and he was mowing the lawn, and the third young, youngest boy was outside, and he ran over the boy and cut off a leg. And uh, that, that's, and it's just, I, I would go there and I would just sit at the dinner table and visit with them and the kids are eating cereal and I'm just thinking, I, I don't know, I don't, I can't put my head around this. And then we, we poured a lot into the two older boys and, and sweet boys, but uh, they struggled a lot just socially, academically, all kinds of other ways. And one day I just realized these two boys are never going to reach the American dream. They don't have the grades. They don't have the wherewithal to go to some great university. I think they're just going to struggle through life, live with joy, and go to heaven that way. Is that too blunt? Do you know what I'm saying? And I thought, that's probably okay. Not that we don't try and keep helping them. And then later I began thinking about myself. <laughs> I mean, I've, had, I've got, had some struggles. Uh, I've struggled with depression in my life. I've struggled with anger in my life. It's all my parents' fault. Uh, some of their fault, you know, nature, nurture, you know. I think I got some of their genes and then watching them and stuff and then just some of it's my fault. Did you? <laughs> and uh, so I've wrestled with that, and I would just like to, I would, I've made progress, I've made progress, but I, I would like to, I would just like to be done with that. And so one day it occurred to me, you know, that may be all right. Jesus may show up sometime when I am having a really bad day. Say, say I'm having a flat tire. I mean, the tragedy of that. And I'm almost something to say really bad to it, the tire, and Jesus appears. Would that be all right? I need to know if you're getting this. Would that be all right? If Jesus shows up when I'm having a bad day? I think so. Because I think that would turn it into a great day. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think the tire would seem that important anymore, do you? Right? And I don't think when Jesus shows up and I'm about ready to say something bad to the tire in the entire universe that he's going to say, you know, I'm so disappointed. I think he's just going to welcome me in and say, you know, 
You've trusted me? Come on, let's go with all of you. And then I've begun sharing this with other people as well. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. And that is that we have good news and bad news, and the good news is that one day your struggles will be over. And Jesus will make you completely whole. But until then, you're always going to struggle with something. You're not going to meet Jesus perfect until you see him face to face. And see, for me, I I guess we may be wired differently, but in the meantime, then, we walk with our brokenness in the grace of God by the second, the, the middle tree, the tree of the cross. And for me, at least, that, that, that empowers me and gives me great hope. I mean, the songs we sang this morning, I, I don't know how all that, maybe Alex, I said, he told him what I was going to talk about. I don't know if he had to adjust or whatever, but the songs this morning just fit with what we're saying today. And uh, the, the grace reaches me. His grace reaches even me. I know it reaches you, but me. His grace reaches even me. So we live in between, depending on the cross. Between the first garden and the last garden, and we live by the life of the tree in the middle. And because of that tree, we have access to God to bring every care and every concern, and wait for it, every complaint. The laments tell us, and even Jesus lamented, that it is okay and right to bring everything everything, even your complaints to God and give them to Him. I just feel like sometimes, and this may seem counterintuitive and maybe even counter-Christian, I don't know, uh, I just feel that there are times that uh, Christians feel like they're not doing well enough. And there's a time for conscience and all that, certainly, but I just find that we are in great need of a word of grace that sometimes Christians are awfully hard on themselves and they wonder what's going to happen to them. They wonder if they're doing enough. And I just find their hearts are lifted by the message of the cross and the hope we have in Him and forgiveness. And that we can come to God and just lay everything there and we don't have to pretend to be good Christians to talk to God. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you just dump it all there. And that's what this psalmist has done. I want to finish with two scriptures I hope will be helpful from Hebrews describing Jesus as great high priest who intercedes for us. I mean, he talks to God for us. What an amazing thing. Holy brothers and sisters, we share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. We own him. He owns us. And then since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's able to sympathize. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. What a remarkable contrast for the one who is without sin, able to sympathize with those who do have sin. You don't find that anywhere else. And so we approach God's throne. We come to God's very throne. We come to the very feet of God because it is a throne of grace. And we come there with boldness. We come to the very throne of God with great boldness because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus so that in this world we still struggle. We need this need to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Amen? And so, as I mentioned, I just find uh, that incredibly helpful to me. I'm finding it incredibly helpful to others, and I hope it'll be helpful to you as well. And the church said, Amen. We're going to sing a song this morning.